Hello, I'm Ian Wielden, a senior lecturer at Newcastle University and host of the Cultural Peeps podcast. Today's guest is Alan Lane, the artistic director of Slunglow. Slunglow is an award-winning theatre company which specialises in large-scale productions which often take place outdoors. They're based in Holbeck, an inner city South Leeds ward, where they run two spaces, the warehouse in Holbeck and Slunglow at Temple. Both venues are made available to artists and community groups as performance and cultural spaces to anyone who needs them. All of the work presented in Holbeck by Slunglow is done on a pay-what-you-decide basis with the goal of making the arts accessible and welcoming to the local community. I first came across Alan through his book The Club on the Edge of Town, a pandemic memoir which documents his experience of managing Holbeck Club, the oldest working men's club in the country, and which during the pandemic transformed into a non-means-tested self-referral food bank which ran for a total of 15 months and provided 15,000 food packages. This conversation was recorded in April 2023, on-site at the Holbeck Warehouse and is an edited version of a longer conversation. Just a word of warning, there are a couple of light swear words towards the end of this episode, so you might want to listen with headphones if you're around others with sensitive ears. Thanks again to Alan for his time and for showing me around the Holbeck Warehouse. I had a really lovely day and I really enjoyed the chat, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Joining me today, Alan, can we just start off by hearing a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do? Yep, my name's Alan Lane and I'm the Artistic Director of a theatre company called Slunglow, based here in Holbeck, South Leeds. Uh, We are a people's theatre company, so we make large-scale outdoor shows with people who are both theatre professionals and theatre non-professionals. Those shows tend to be very large in scale, political in nature, always on fire and sometimes on water. And we also run two venues in Holbeck, South Leeds. Holbeck is one of the more deprived areas of Britain. And we run two theatres uh, on a pay-what-you-decide basis as a rehearsal space and uh, event room. What does an artistic director do? Well, it, it depends entirely where you're artistic director. But, but here what it means is I'm one of four who run the company. We all have job titles. Everyone is allowed to choose their own job title and can change it whenever they want. And we all get paid the same, which is the average wage of the nation, which uh, today is £33,100, uh, which is both an awful lot of money and no money at all, depending on which end of the telescope you're looking at. If I was an th- artistic director for a different theatre company, I would get to decide what creative projects we do. I'd probably direct a lot of those plays. I'd talk to other artists about what work they wanted to make with us. And I get to do lots of that here. But we are all... We are all things here in Slumlow. So uh, what was I doing today? I've cleaned the toilets today. Um, on the weekend, I was cleaning 60 camping chairs, which are our new outdoor auditorium that we got from Leeds Festival after all the hoodlums left them behind. Uh, so I was shampooing. I will be writing a funding application later. And then tonight, I'll go and see a play. And that's pretty much a tra- traditional day. I am the tallest member of the team here. So I reach things from high shelves. I'm the second best van driver, I'm the third best funding applier, um, uh, and so I do all sorts of things. I basically am part of a theatre company, which is being a gang who use theatre to try and imagine worlds that we want to live in. Everybody does a bit of everything Absolutely. in this, and yeah. whenever it's needed, yeah. one of you will plug that hole yeah. to get where you need to be. Yeah, so, th- so thinking about what the guys are doing today, we're about to... to uh, it's a secret, but we're about to do the closing ceremony for Leeds 2023. So Joanna's working on what the co-production deal. So that's kind of some legal work there. Uh, Matt is doing technical drawings of our new venue so that theatre companies coming in can use them. And Ruth is doing some some mailing list stuff, just telling people about what we've got coming up. Uh, and I'm talking to you. I mostly talk to people because that's, you know, you've got to think about where, where do your skills lie. Yep. But I could be doing any of those other things and have in the last few weeks. And the same is true for them. And we do that on purpose. We try and change that uh, so that no one gets stuck doing X all the time, even though Joanna is much better at finances than the rest of us. Matt is a much better technician than the rest of us. Ruth is a much better better communicator than the rest of us. Um, 
it, it's it's not a it's not a traditional way of working, but it, I think it's probably quite a traditional theatre company way of working that is no longer fashionable. Yeah, so fairly democratic in that sense. As flat as we can make the structure, as non-hierarchical, while still allowing for the fact that somebody has to take legal responsibility. Well, that was one of the questions. So I'm guessing at yeah. some point somebody's got to sign off the. Yeah. If we do this and something happens, I go to prison. That's yeah. the that's the rule, and and I think that yeah, and that's that's literally that's true. The company exists as a as a company limited by share, and there's only one share, and it's a pound, and it's mine, right. and which means that if there is some catastrophic health and safety failure, then the blame will be mine. That's quite important to me that I keep responsibility, but beyond that kind of final nuclear uh, yeah. approach, everything is as everybody here has a debit card for the company. If there is, I don't know. £300,000 in that bank account and anyone could walk anywhere and buy anything at any time. There's no... Anyone can have as many holidays as they want. Anyone can have any... Um, they are as... We are as free and as powerful as you can be and still living in this society. It's an amazing way of working and fairly... In, in Bloody exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my questions definitely relates to that, given how much work that you actually do. Yeah. So, so one of the questions, just to ask around how yeah. those jobs are, are, are divvied up amongst yeah. you as a team, is that a case that you sit down once a week or once or at the start of a project and then somebody says, I'll do this, I'll do this? Or... Yeah, we, we try and have small amounts of communication as regular as possible. So no one should ever be kind of two touches away from a project and those touches should happen at least twice a day, even when I'm away and I'm the one that goes away the most. If they farm me out, they sell me off or something. Um, we're having a 10 to 2, which is the end of lunchtime. We're also, so we just sat down and went through the diary for the next month, literally hour by hour, what are people having to do, yeah. and therefore everything else needs to fit into that other time. Um, sometimes that comes a cropper, so you find, especially if people aren't vocal, we say a lot, like, narrate your life, speak out loud. Uh, if you don't, after six weeks, you've found yourself being stuck with something for too long, yeah. you become resentful. There's a thing, the other day, uh, we were on our other site and me and Matt just declared we'd clean the toilets because we just noticed that one person was cleaning the toilets an awful lot and that's a rubbish job. Yeah. So it is about trying to be aware to each other. It's, tr it's trying to be really respectful at all times. But the speed, the, what we call the battle rhythm, the, 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 the time it takes you to make decisions, reassess and make more decisions needs to be quick. Yeah. Because um, we don't have much money. We do have money, but we don't have much money. Power. We don't have much cultural power. And if we want to have an impact beyond what we have, then we need to be quicker than everybody else. Yeah. And that's something we talk a lot about. So it is, So there is a real temper, there is a real pace. If you were here for a couple of days, you'd be like, holy shit, we, yeah, well, we change our minds quickly about things and we seize opportunities and we'll go for them. Yeah. Um, we have to, we're, we're, we're a little raft, right? We're not a, we're not a cruise liner. Um, we're a little raft that just goes with the tide. If there's something happening over there we want to be a part of, we'll dash over there. Yeah. Um, but that requires constant communication. With, with that comes quite a need for confidence yep. within within either somebody to lead that team, even if it's a flat yep. structure. Yep. I mean, is that just through years of, of experience of doing this that this process has been refined? I th I'm guessing... I'm wondering what happens when someone leaves and a new person comes in. Yeah, those are really. I mean, those are really difficult and challenging moments because you you grow. We are closer than you would expect a company to be, right? You know, it's fashionable now for companies to go, "We're a family," and and I don't think we are in the sense we're not as dysfunctional as a family, but we are in each other's lives in a way that. You know, I mean, my producer has moved into my house and looked after my son when I've been away on a job. Like we we are reliant on each other in a meaningful way and then when someone moves on or really horrendously when someone isn't making the grade consistently and you're like it's time for you to find somewhere else to go now that's horrible because it's like breaking up with someone yeah. um, and then someone comes in and you're like oh we've been together for 10 years the newest member here has been here for four years and right. she's still the new one most people don't last four years in a company and we're like we'll see and you'll have settled in <laughs> but her ability to look at things afresh her ability to go why on earth are you doing that? That's really important. It's also true that we're in a we're a company of staters, right? State something and then make it happen. So she came. She was a huge Leeds United fan. We'd never had anything to do with the football club. Now we've got all sorts of different ways we're involved in the football club. She just literally stated, "I think we should be involved in them." Let me tell you why. And we went, "Okay." Yeah. So it's very it's a it's a process of yes and, uh, which anyone who studied theatre will understand. That's how you that's how you make art, right? Yes yeah. and. Um, 
And so we're trying to do that with everything from how we ask people whether they've got the work, uh, the right to work in this country, pensions, all childcare, every single part of our structure and organisation needs to go through the same thoughtful carefulness that we would if we were making it as a piece of art. That takes more, to, it is not the most efficient way of doing anything, but the most efficient ways of doing things tend to be the flattest, the most boring. But the iterative processes, Absolutely, aren't absolutely. And if you were here six months ago, I would be focusing on something slightly different, and in three months' time, I'd be like, ah, there's a slight nuance yeah. in our thinking. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. But I'm guessing when you're working with th this many people, and not, I'm not talking about the team, but with yep. different partners and people that are working yep. on productions, that you have to be responsive to them, their ideas, their creative input, the changing financial landscape, the political landscape, whatever. Well, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The same things. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think I think any sort of creative leadership, especially if you're if you're doing one of our big shows, you've got hundreds of people. They're in public places. They're normally to do with a whole 17 or a lead to 2023, some sort of reasonably contentious cultural public event where people you arrive and people are already shouting. You're like, oh, good, excellent. This is a, this, these are the conditions for creativity. <laughs> they are acts of lead, leadership. They, you know, I, I'm not a particularly brilliant theatre director, as in, you know, if you want to do Hamlet on a stage somewhere with the lights out, you'll find someone who cares about it more than I will. But the thing I really care about is how, how those moments of achievement come together. And I think that those are about creative leadership. They're about understanding that everybody needs to get what they want out of it because they are temporary collaborations of disparate, hugely disparate people who were brought together for just a short amount of time. And, th and that's really thrilling. Um, and the skills required to do that are qu quite, quite rare. Um, and so we're aware, as obnoxious as it sounds, that we do think we just open the Shakespeare North Playhouse in Prescott for them. If you're going to open or close something in theatre, the chances are you're going to come and ask us to do it. Um, it's a niche, but it's a niche we sit in quite happily. Yeah. This is a really unique thing that you're doing, and a, a unique approach in this area. Is there anybody that you look to, and have you been mentored even informally, or are you just fumbling through that? I think I think we're I think we're fumbling through it in the sense that the time now is very different. I think that theatre history particularly provides us with people who worked politically, socially in in different ways. Uh, I immediately think of Joan Littlewood, who was a theatre director in the fifties, sixties, seventies, who who created the thing called Fun Palaces and, and ran Stratford East and did it in a very different way. But people who look at us go, oh, Joan Littlewood. You look yeah. at John McGrath from Scotland, who again was making. Uh, socialist theatre in, in, in Scotland and touring it and behaving in in ways that we aspire to. I think on the other end of the spectrum there's forced entertainment in Sheffield who are avant-garde contemporary theatre, nothing like the work we make, but have been a group of people together for 20, 30, 40 years and still trying to find ways of being relevant. So I think that you're always aware of your hinterland. The thing that combines all those people is they didn't they didn't exist to a template. And our thing is, even if it's exhausting, we should reconsider. So reconsider it. So COVID happens. Consider our well. Everyone's doing this. Yeah, yeah, great. And they, they, they should. But what is our response going to be? Um, we live in in the, in the ward here. Has the worst health outcomes of adults anywhere in England. What's our response to that? What should we consider? We on the other side of this wall here is a primary school that speaks fifty two languages. Because that's how many you're allowed to, to put on the box of Leeds City Council. Because uh, that's the maximum number of languages they could imagine yeah. a school could speak. So, and therefore the children are arriving from all over the world, many by rubber dinghy. What's our response to that? The Arts Council have no more money. What's our response? So it's the constant, that's the bit that's... And, and of course, Joan Littlewood, John McGrath, Tim Etchells, any of these people's response to any of these problems would be different because they wouldn't ever be sat here. They'd be sat where they are. And so that's the thing that we we really cling to is we are responding as best we can to a constantly changing world. Everything is our responsibility. So it's not, it's not for us to go, we're just a theatre company, leave it. We're like, no, no, hang on. We have the most amount of cultural power in this ward of anyone. We probably have the most amount of funding that we can apply to whatever we want than anyone. That, that means we have to really step up. We have a different set up. of responsibilities yeah. outside of a yeah. you know, ring-fenced thing because yeah. also what would a ring fenced kind of traditional theatre company behaving like a traditional theatre company is of no use whatsoever in Holbrook mm. 
Like we put on plays, don't be wrong, and people clap, but that's not the most useful thing we do. Um, constant reconsider of our position. This is quite a unique role. You know, when you were 15 or yep. whenever it is that you yep. picked some subjects at school, thought, I'm going to be an artistic director. Artistic director. No, definitely not. Um, no, I think I wanted to be a barrister when I was 15. I didn't really know what a barrister was, but I'm pretty sure you got to speak for a living, and I was, I was looking forward <laughs> to that. No, I mean, I, I read English at Sheffield, which is what you used to do if you wanted to be a theatre director. You went to a Red Brick or Oxbridge, and you read English, and then you became a theatre director by knowing people in the theatre industry. Yeah. That world's changed now, so you don't do that. You do an MA. Both those like avenues are, are problematic. Yeah. Um, and I left university not knowing anyone in theatre, but knowing that I'd had a really good time making theatre whilst I'd been at university and so me and my friends just decided we would declare ourselves a theatre company in the same way that me and you now declared that we were astronauts. Uh, <laughs> it had the same bearing on reality. And so, and, and it was aimless in the sense that I knew people made a living from theatre and I really enjoyed making theatre and therefore with the, the magnificent arrogance of being 21 and knowing nothing, I went, right, this shall be so. And for 10 years it was not so and I like, worked in a pork pie factory and sold double glazing and I did all sorts of things. Did, um, did you do any of that? I mean, b- before you got to university, did yeah. we, cause, I mean, to go and do English, yeah. did you think, I'm, I want to be, I want to be working in this field, or were you just kind of, you know, oh, you figure no. it, we just I was figuring decisions it out. a bit on autopilot and seeing where it took you? I, I think, I think, I think I was lucky that I always enjoyed reading and I always enjoyed thinking about what I'd read. And so to do English was, was, well, I didn't, I, my family, neither my mum or father went to, to university when they were kids like it didn't come from that background but there was always like he's smart he doesn't quite fit in at school and I remember people saying like you'll fit in when you get to university <laughs> and uh, I was like all right I don't really know what that means um I think I'm still waiting to fit in um so so uh, yeah I mean I I went a, I went aimlessly to read books for three years because and I was really lucky I mean I was uh, we st- we had to have student loans, um, but, we, but it was before fees were. I mean, I'm that old. It was before fees bought in. I got a maintenance grant. I was the last year of maintenance grants. So what was that? Ninety six. Yeah, ninety seven. Yeah, yeah. ninety seven was the first year. Yeah, um, we might be the same age. Is this going to annoy all the students? You have to earn uh, more than thirty five thousand pounds a year to pay back, and I have mm-hmm. never managed it. And I am two years out of timing out and not paying back my student loan, which is the weirdest brag in the world. But I really, really don't want to pay that loan back. <laughs> hate those people so much, man. I hate those people so much. Um, yeah. So, so no, I had no. Um, I think if we, if we, if you'd filled this room, it's not a very big room here, but if you filled this room with theatre directors, it is rare now for theatre directors not to come from some form of cultural awareness so so the the friends and family are in theatre and that wasn't my case and so you so you know as we said before we we're in the corner i'm in the corner office of the corner warehouse of the corner of leeds in the corner of the country we are we are as 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 outside of the mainstream while still being in the cultural mainstream as you can be and i think that that comes from me just blagging it and and me you know, going to university to read English and then discovering that all the really interesting people were in a theatre and then spending three years doing that and yeah. then thinking, well, I, well, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And, but, but not... See, so how did that happen? Like you, were there just people on the course that were into that stuff and then you were socialising with them? Or was it a, here's a group of people that's doing something, a production? That you... Yeah, there was posters up. Like at Sheffield, right. they had just a theatre where you could put on plays. Had nothing, you didn't have to be studying anything. Right. Um, and so we did that, and it was great fun, and we we did that for three years and had a really good time. And we went to a thing called the National Student Drama Festival. It doesn't exist in the same way anymore. But And then we met people like us from other places and going, oh, God, there's loads of us. And then you go to Edinburgh Fringe and go, oh, my oh, God, there's yeah. thousands. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, then you, and then I think everybody, you know, graduates and goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then after a year, there's three of you left. It's the hardest yeah. bit of forest to get through to yeah. whatever it is that you want to yeah. do that first year, yeah. I think. Because it, you end up with all of... Pressures of living, kind of expectations being meeting reality, yeah. and then there's a tricky thing that happens there. Yeah, I think, I and mean, that's definitely here. If, if again, if you, you know, all the people that come through here to use the place as a rehearsal room in a week have all found themselves here by way of of different. So even though mine is an idiosyncratic career path, all the other people's already idiosyncratic as well. And yeah, we could go, definitely go find five or six. Um, who are Henrys who were well connected and, and are still bimbling around in that world. But the vast majority of people are by hook or by crook coming to it um, 
idiosyncratically. Like nobody, nobody, you know, Ruth was a teacher until four years ago and is my age and is now finds herself working in professional theatre, which um, I think the thing that, the thing that definitely is true is alongside my ignorance, and so I didn't even know that what I was saying we were going to do was rare, and that's helpful, because it means you're not scared of it. You're yeah, like, yeah, I'll yeah, do this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was a, a tempo, and we still talk about that now, and it's 20 years on. If you're gonna make, if you're gonna make a wrong decision, make a hundred decisions in the day, because you'll live with three wrong ones. Make ninety-seven others. So, wouldn't just go and see a play. I've gone see four plays. Wouldn't just go and just just keep the tempo up, yeah. because after because when you when you have no idea where you're range finding, eventually you just by accident hit something. And you're, oh, hang on, there's two more over there. It's a fearless approach. Yeah, I, and I think you, I think yeah, I think the thing that. I mean, it's different now because there are people who are genuinely reliant on us. And I mean, I don't mean that in a wishy-washy way. I mean, genuinely reliant on us um, for all sorts of things. But in that first 10 years, nobody was reliant on us for, for anything. And no one was very interested whether I made theatre or not. They were like, well, whatever, mate. You're just like all the other blokes who wants to make theatre. And so you, you were constantly trying to find ways to make it worth other people's while. Yeah. Like, so, you know, like anybody who stands up and takes oxygen from the room, right? What are you going to say? Well, I just thought I'd talk a little bit about myself. Yeah, but what are you going to like? Why not anyone else? Oh shit, that's. Uh... So how did it? How did that crystallise then from you and your mate saying I'm going to do this thing to to making a leap where something happened? So I think so. As, as always, it's an evolution over an incredibly. So the current evolution we're in, we've only been in this venue for three years, and you could kind of go back in eighteen month chunks and go. So. Initially, you're a group of people who think that you can continue to be students as graduates, and you realise quite quickly that that's not going to work. And then you go, well, that's okay. We'll just do what we were doing as students, but we'll professionalise it, which basically you think means people are going to pay you to do it, and that doesn't work. And and slowly but surely, we move through why. And my big thing was around attracting large groups of people to share practice. So going to see shows and by other graduates and going, you're great sort of a bit lost here on your own, aren't you? We're all going to get together in Bradford and hang out for a week and try and help each other. And that generated its own... So we ended up with 43 people. Half of them were bloody awful, but half of them were not awful at all. And so that generated its own momentum. And then finally, the thing that we crystallised originally as a kind of ethos was people are really excited by stories. People get really thrilled about the idea that a human being is going to tell them a story live. But most people aren't that bothered about going to theatre. So there's something wrong there. And, and you could argue it's a marketing thing, you could argue it's a cultural thing, you could argue all sorts of things. But we were like, let's not argue any of that. Let's just jump. So we would tell stories about vampires in multi-story car parks. We would, we would go to where people already were and say, do you want to? And it turned out that's a really popular approach. People are like, yeah, I love this. Goths love a good old vampire story. So all of a sudden you've got hundreds of goth teenagers wanting to see your play. Now, if you know anything about the theatre industry, you know that if you can grab hold of hundreds of goth teachers, you're in business. So that became our first, um, our first philosophy, which is people are really excited by theatre if you don't call it theatre. And you tell them stories live. Yeah, so you do. So the work we were making was really interesting, but it was never in a black box. It was never in a theatre space. And as a result, the types of people that theatres wanted to come and see their work were coming. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, there was a reason why I was standing up and taking up oxygen in the room. Now, it took me eight years to get there, but also people were like, oh, that, that gobshite over there, he's, he's got something to say. Because actually, this theatre that has millions of pounds really is struggling with the fact that their audience are all grannies. Yeah. And I'm over there in a car park with loads of teenagers, and I'm like, how did you do that? So all of a sudden, uh, I was allowed in the room. And that developed again until uh, we developed a, an idea around, that's great, but people get even more excited about theatre when they get to be in it. So all of a sudden you have a participation alongside a production element. And then, and then we moved to Holbeck, because it was cheap, we didn't know anything about it. And then all of a sudden we were like, ah, oh, okay, now we're Holbeck's theatre. So, so you, 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 you combine those three things to kind of, uh, people are really excited by theatre, as long as you don't call it theatre. They really want to be told stories that make sense of living. That, that when they get a chance to be involved, they are even more ownership. And then we are really based in South Leeds. What does that mean? Well, how does that change the work we make? How does that change who we are in the world? How do we talk about our work? Yeah. Those three things are probably still the, um, uh, the kind of guiding philosophies. And they evolved over, I don't know, eight years into where we're now, 20 years in. 
over 12 years, they're refined constantly. It's like, why are we doing this? Why does this make sense? Why does this make sense? And the more refined in our thinking we got, the more the people who give you money to do things went, oh, okay. That's so we, we're just getting little bits of money here and there for that yeah. and charging for some stuff and just seeing, and were you fitting yeah. that in around other jobs and yeah. things like yeah. that? Yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think what other jobs I did. Um, worked in warehouses, worked as barmen and little bits. And then probably after about nine years, we got a bit of funding, which meant that whilst we were making the play, we were being paid. Um, and then that's when we started to think about... So most theatre in this country is made by public money. So the Arts Council will give you what they call investment, which is ridiculous because you don't have to return the money. It's subsidy. So it's the idea that we're as a, as a wealthy com- country, we should pay for the arts to be made so that the market doesn't drive everything. Because... Um, Ant and Deck are brilliant, but if you only want to watch Ant and Deck, then let the market decide stuff. Yeah. Um, and so we were given, being given, so that, and that's quite a thing in working in an area that doesn't have enough money, that doesn't have enough doctors, not enough anything, to then spend money on art is really politically quite challenging. And so around that was ideas of uh, everyone needs to be paid the same because anyone who understands processes knows that that everybody if you remove one of those links the process dies so and if you if you're beyond the market if you're not reliant on an audience to pay the tickets then all of a sudden the rules of capitalism how we value people don't make any sense so there's no point paying the artistic director more because he comes up with the idea because that's fine but if the person who's opening the building doesn't open the building it doesn't matter so everyone gets paid the same that was quite a that was quite an unusual step for us to make but that was around public money so those little bits of money slowly but surely became slightly larger bits of money. And then finally the Arts Council, I would say after 12 years, said uh, what they called, uh, oh, what was it called? Well, it's now called the National Portfolio of Organisations. So it's people who get money regularly in three-year chunks. So we've just had a, a round of funding where they've agreed the next three years. There are 752, I think. Um, most of those organisations are civic organisations. So the Royal Shakespeare Company, the National Theatre, the Royal Court, it's rare for them to be independent companies. It's increasingly less rare. Um, I don't know many that are just four people in a warehouse. I think we are. We're not quite unique, but we're rare. As this as this is developing, you make the, the jump. Then, yep. what point did you think I'm brave enough to leave whatever else in? Was it was it a big chunk of money that came in, or was it no. just I'm going to wing this now? No, and I I think the trick I made, which I don't recommend for anyone is I never went, I never became a teacher. I ne- I've never had a salary in my life. So I wasn't leaving anything. Right. I was always living hand to mouth. So um, it's really hard, especially once you clear 30. And I think it was around about 30. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do something here. Um, but before then, we were just piecing it together. I was working in a warehouse. I was, you know, I was, I was doing what would now be called zero hour contract jobs, but yeah. then were slightly different. Just to just to make sure I had enough money at the end. Of, so when, so when I was just spending more time making theatre, as long as it was the same as the money I got paid for for humping and thumping, it was fine. I think the the big challenge is when you've got a proper proper job that pays you proper money, and then you're making the leap back to the arts, and you're like, God, that's tough. Because I mean, I was saying before, my wife's a commercial choreographer, and some years she makes shed loads of money. Another year, she barely clears twelve grand, and she's on Broadway. So, you're like, oh come on, this is it is a really precarious, uh, precarious industry. I think, I think not having to make the leap was useful, but I, you know, I, I look back at the ten years I spent trying to make sure I could pay my electricity bill in pound coins and think, well, I couldn't do that again. Yeah. Um, I mean, thankfully for the time being, no one's asking me to, but I think. You know, the time when the funders come and say it's it's time for us to stop funding you, I'm not going back to being freelance theatre director. There is that is a tough life. Yeah. yeah. Did, did the productions then that you're doing, all the projects that you're working on, yeah. just start growing with yeah. resources that you were you were yeah. securing or being given? Yes, I think one of the things we talk about is the first 15 years of your career in theatre is basically making a show so you can make another show. Yeah. And so you're constantly aware that you're on the and our thing was always have a show ready before the foot, this one opens. You're so you, you're constantly leapfrogging so that, because it also helps if you cock up. You can be like, phew. <laughs> um, and that's really hard. I think, you know, someone was saying on the internet earlier, you know, you get 6,000 pounds for directing a show. 
you can't do more than four in a year. You really can't. So a successful theatre director will be making twenty four thousand pounds a year. So well, that's bad. Mm. So you're constantly, you know, you you always it's always been the case. You make more money talking to people about becoming a theatre director than you do being a theatre director. Um, and you need portfolio uh, careers. So you you may, I, even here I make a lot of money public speaking. We do a lot of training and leadership and all those sorts of other things. Um, and that pays better than making theatre. Yeah. Uh, and that, and, but that's been true for, you know, we sat down and looked at how I made a living 10 years ago. We're like, well, you directed a lot of plays, but actually doing that workshop for PwC managers was, was the same as directing a play at the RSC or, wh- or whatever it is. Um, so you, you've been in Holbeck for a long time then? Yeah, nearly, I think 10 years now. We moved here because it was cheap. We moved to some row arches around the corner because it was cheap. Um, and then when when we were just working out, we using it as storage, and then we started to go to the local corner shop and buy sandwiches like you do. And, and then we uh, we slowly but surely, A, grew to love the place, but also realised that there wasn't any Arts Council money being spent here at all. And Which is it, really yeah, interesting, isn't it? Yeah, and we could walk here to the Opera House, the Ballet Company, and the Producing Theatre Company in the city, but they don't advertise here because no one's going to go. They can't afford the tickets, and even if they could afford the tickets, there is no public transport to get them home. So you'd be a fool if you were the arts marketing manager to put any marketing in here. So we're within walking distance of three of the best organisations outside of London, and and it doesn't touch the sides. Yet everybody's taxes here still pays for those organisations. So we're in a we're in a we're in a morally difficult place, and we spent five hundred million pounds worth of public money on the arts in this country, and and none of it was getting spent in Hobbit, and we were like, that's not on. So alongside the shows we make elsewhere and um, for much larger organisations, we were like, we'll be Holbeck's there. So at first that was in Railway Arches. Then we moved into the local working men's club and ran that for four years. And now we run the warehouse in Holbeck, which is this big space we're in at the minute, which is two performance spaces and then an outdoor stage around the corner called Temple. Um, and everything we do is pay what you decide. The work is increasingly curated and commissioned in collaboration with various community groups, but most interestingly, a group of children who are called the Imaginative Intelligence Warriors, absolutely lunatics, program all sorts of back crazy things, um, and a group of neighbours who also program. Um, and the stuff that they program is really popular. Um, and amazingly, isn't that different from the stuff we program if we weren't doing that, which I think is also one of the. It's really interesting that you say. You, 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 you know, I'm sure you said it flippantly there. You'd be crazy to market here if you were. Yeah. And then you. Surely you're crazier to kind of think, okay, we're going to be a theatre company for Well, I, I suppose a little bit like universities, not to become an entire Marxist on a, on a Tuesday afternoon, but the, the arts, the theatre scene in this country is beyond the market. It's subsidised. Yeah. Um, but it's borrowed the language of the market. So it says we can't possibly afford to charge less than £30 a ticket. And that's not true. It's just not a fact. What it means is we can't continue to exist exactly like we always have with diminishing funding because of inflation and not charge £30 a ticket. But, you know, the local theatre around the corner starts with a couple of million quid subsidy. It could put on £2 million worth of theatre and just give it away. It could choose to do that. I'm not saying it should, it just, it could. Um, And and I think an awful lot of the theatre has got caught in this landscape between demonstrating that it's financially, can stand on its own, and and then demonstrating some sort of social worth. And I think neither of those are particularly interesting things. I think where it's most interesting is saying there's this money that that exists beyond the market. It's given by the government for the cultural betterment of our community. What do we want to spend it on? As opposed to we have reduced the price of tickets for this thing. Um, because the tickets now commercially and subsidised are the same in my city. Well, that's a real problem. Yeah. That's a real problem. Um, because it begs the question, what's the point? Because the market will always be more efficient. It always will. It will drive down costs and it will and it will be able to offer you the product for less. Well, I'm not interested in that. So we come to Holbeck. I, our income is so small on a pay-what-you-decide basis that it barely... Yeah, we might as well just spend it on pizzas. But it doesn't matter. The Arts Council give me 185 grand a year and we use it on putting on the best culture in this area we can. Um it's just a different way. It's just looking at the different end of the telescope. Yeah. How do you try to connect with that audience? What what kinds of things were you doing to try to 
encourage some kind of conversation there? So, the, I mean, really, basically, you just ask people. That's the, the first... Uh, the, it's amazing how often that doesn't happen. So you ask people, what do they want to see? What do they... But I think also the, the most useful thing we've ever done is letting people have the tools, the, the toys, right? So we've got, and especially in the old place, in the pub, people always wanted to use it. So we were like, yeah, use it. And they put on all sorts of things. And those, all sorts of different events, but the bands and high days and holidays, and they put these things on and they would all, within the, their own terms, be incredibly successful. Lots of people would turn up, everyone would leave happy. Now, if we were, you know, Michael Billington of The Guardian, we might watch that Battle of the Band and go, none of those guitars were in tune, and it doesn't matter. Those people loved it. Yeah, connection and yeah. experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And so all of a sudden they're in, and they feel like they own it, and they're in the building, and then once they're in the building, you say, oh, by the way, we've got a cabaret in it. Oh, sort of cabaret. Well, Davina de Campo's playing. Well, okay, quite like her. Well, what else? And before you know it, and cabaret was really useful to us because you could put on five acts and the two... As long as you had something off the telly, then the other four could be anything you want, and they yeah. people would love it. So I think there was there's something about people call it co curation, but I think it's also something about just negotiating. Like, I I would really love it if you come and see this thing because I think you'd like it. Why should I trust you? Well, I showed you that last thing you really enjoyed. Oh, that is true. And I think as people grew to to know us and trust us, they enjoyed all sorts of things. We love nothing more than a good knees up at a cabaret. But the thing we had on recently was a, a piece of classical music, a new piece of classical music. It was Eastern European dirge about dying. It was bloody beautiful and it was miserable. Never been, nothing's been so popular. It was ridiculous. They were standing up to watch. And that, if we'd said that five years ago, we wouldn't have had an audience. Um, there comes to something about the fact that if we've put it on and we've promised it, that it will be good, then, then the chances are, and don't get me wrong, we get it wrong once in a while, but the chances are then it's worth people's time. Yeah. Trust is really important. I think the other thing which is going right the way back to how we started is we talk to people in language that they understand. We, talk in, we don't talk in arts marketing here. We don't say things are experiential, durational performances. We say it's a band. We say it's a, it's a play. Our mission here is to try and explain it so that everybody can decide whether they want to come as opposed to try and convince them to come. And then the final thing is um, I don't know anything. The things I've thought are amazing and put on, they've not landed. They're, I particularly dislike opera. You can put an opera on and people really love it and it annoys the hell out of me. But that's not what's important. <laughs> the important thing is people tell you what they want to come and see. Our job is to try and find the best version of the thing they want. Yeah. Um, it's not rocket science. Uh, and it's not like world-changing. We just have a theatre that people really enjoy coming to watch. And then pay what you decide. Everything's pay what you decide. So we basically remove a. It's not. Th it's not the only, but it's a large obstacle. Money. Yeah. Even a five around here is a lot. Why? Why should they? There's so many reasons for them not to. Um, pay what you decide allows a really genuinely diverse audience to enjoy it. So has it been at different points in your career? I guess this is maybe suspicion is the wrong word about motive yeah and i think you can use some language that i think is really interesting mm. i think you use promise and trust yep. really close together yep. you know that if you yeah say you're going to do it yeah then you deliver it yeah yeah i mean i i'm a forces brat so i grew up on raf basis so i don't come from anywhere which is great because everybody hates me uh <laughs> it, and and the arts industry don't really see us as you know they they we we sit outside it slightly we're a little annoying um, they think we're a bit um, uh, morally superior. We're not either of those words, but um, or at least we don't feel we are. Uh, so we, we're sort of outside uh, quite a lot of the arts world, uh, the arts establishment, and we're clearly not of Holbeck. And the people of Holbeck will tell you that. Um, until you attack us, and then they'll beat you up. <laughs> you know, it's like they don't talk about my sister like that thing. Um, I hate her, but you can't. Um, and so I think we, and, and, but I think that's a good thing. Uh, there's an awful lot of, I did the opening ceremony for Leeds 2023 with Kali Fiari, who is an amazing, amazing theatre director and their chief exec. And is um, uh, a woman whose family came from, from India and, and, and obviously in that sense is not from Yorkshire, whilst obviously being from Yorkshire. And I was really struck by how the language of, 
you're not really from Yorkshire was used as often about me as it was about her. And in both right. both cases, you go, it's quite problematic, your definition of where yeah. people are from. from. Um, and then a really weird woman, they said, well, you weren't born here. And I was like, holy hell, this is madness. Um, but I think that's really helpful. I think, I think theatre is meant to be with the carny folk, right? We're meant to sit slightly outside. And I think at the times when we've been less successful, it's not when we've been in service to our community, because that's really important, is not when... And I mean that in a, I don't mean that in a highfalutin, I mean that in a practical, here's my van, you can borrow it way. But it's when we've been seen as municipal. It's when people think we're the council. And all of a sudden, the, the shine comes off. Like establishment. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, and and I mean, but the, I don't mean in a Julian Fellows way. I mean in a sort of you're the people who are meant to open our bins, and all of a sudden we we just become less useful and less interesting. I think I think it's good that so for example, none of our funding is is local. All of our funding is national, sure. and we bring it into Holbeck. Yeah. I don't fight. Yeah, and 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 Calouste and Paul Hamlin and wherever we get it from, and from making work, which is which is one of our major funding streams. I don't fight the local food bank for their five pounds they get from. That's really important. It's important that we sit without as well as within. We're in service. And you know, Ruth lives here, Joanna lives, lives like literally two streets down. Joanna lives within five minutes walk and it takes about 10 minutes to walk here. And none of those, none of those people will be described as Holbeckian for good and for bad. But that doesn't mean we're not in tune. It doesn't mean we're not in, in, in service. And our job is to take the cultural capital we can from being national and leverage it to do mad, beautiful, joyful, expensive things here. Yeah. Um, I think that that's a slightly different thing than trust. And I think that you have, if you don't have people's trust, then you can't just go and do those things. And the only way you, d you get their trust is by telling them what you're going to do and then doing it no matter what. And too often we say, we'd really like to do this, and then it turns out that what we'd really like to do is too difficult, so we don't do it. And people never remember the excuses. They only remember you didn't do it. Yeah. So, you know, Easter, we just went and, uh, and uh, very early on Easter Sunday, put 2,500 chocolate eggs out and then just sent a text to every parent of a child in Holbeck saying the Easter bunny's been. Now, that's quite a lot of money and logistics for a moment of magic, but the people around here will really remember that. And we try and be those people in their lives as well. Uh, awe and wonder. We're trying to generate awe and wonder. If you go for awe and wonder and fail <laughs> and just get crap, then you're in trouble yeah. and you lose the trust. And so that's yeah. a, yeah. Keeping your promises is a big part of, of being useful to your community. But during the time when you've been here in Holbeck, you, you have done stuff that isn't necessarily just theatre stuff. Yep. The way that Slumlo has been linked with the Holbeck, for example. Yep. That's yep. really interesting. Yeah, so the Holbeck is the oldest working men's club in Britain and we moved in there over four years ago, paid off for their debts, moved in as managers and then ran them for four years, made sure they were profitable and turned the place into a kind of community, pay what you decide community centre. And during COVID, we were a food bank, so we delivered 15,202 food parcels, which is a lot of food parcels. Massive, yeah. So, yeah, and... and and essentially taking over work that was being done elsewhere yeah. on a different scale. Yeah, yeah, I think I would. I think yes, absolutely. I think that's astute. The the that was our response to COVID. That was our response. Like I was saying before, to go what what should our response to the changing world be? Yeah. And that was just the moment when the world changed overnight, as opposed to slightly longer. The thing we took over, I think, was first of all much smaller operations that were not capable of ramping up and meeting the moment. And we did because we have money, we have logistics, we have skills. And then, uh, but much more uh, kind of third sector that disappeared because they were all elderly and had to go away. So there was a definite sense of stepping into the breach and doing the thing that no one else could do. And for us, that was an extension of our mission. Like culturally, our, jo our job is to buy the, provide the best cultural life for the people of Holbeck. And in that moment, they didn't have enough to eat. So we just had to get on with it extricating ourselves from that after a year and a half of it and kind of going right we need to reposition took some time took some arguing yeah because obviously yeah. everyone was like we don't really want to play we want food and you're like yeah you've only got food because we spent all the play money on it and you know we were the best funded food bank in the north of england for god's sake so there is a bit of constantly having to the argument out loud but then we created a football club for the adults so we like we did all sorts of things where people were like oh yeah they are still really useful 
Um, and it's seductive being useful in that sort of day-to-day -day business. Um, and it was important that we recognise that. I'm going, oh, this is easier than putting clothes on, actually, in a way. And more immediately, I mean, more difficult, sure, because you've got to deal with lots of challenges. But, you know, people were like, thank you for feeding my child, as opposed yeah. to, I, I didn't quite enjoy the play as much as I did the last one. It's just a different thing. And, and, and at the time, we go through all the various initiatives we had, and we have done, and, and lots of them would not be plays. But my argument is always, well, you know, I, I'd argue that the chocolate eggs on Easter Sunday were, was, you know, a piece of modern art. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as a result, I expect my funders to go, thanks very much. Yeah, um, yeah I, th I think all of this is us, us telling a story, if I'm honest. And so the way we justify it, and we are, of course, asked, why are you taking over a pub? Why are you running a food bank? Why are you setting up a football club? Why are you moving into a school? All of this, we're telling a story. All right, and we're telling a story about one of the poorest places in the, in the country and what happens when a group of really motivated storytellers decide they care. Yeah. What can change? What can be better? What does that teach us about how, you know, we were, before we started recording, talking about institutions and how they can flatten things. Well, what happens when you don't have an institution but you have a group of motivated individuals who can be yeah. trusted? That's the story we're telling. And 60% of the time that presents itself in a show that normally starts at 7.30 and has some sort of clapping at the end. But 40% of the time it really doesn't. And it presents itself, you know, we manage 16 acres of wild woodland not far from here in the Peak District. And, you know, we do all sorts of things that are all developing, evolving this point that yeah. we're trying to make. See, there's, there's quite a lot of interesting stuff that happened then over that pandemic bit. You know, how you're thinking about trying to keep that creativity going. So there's two or three really interesting initiatives that you, yeah. that you did there. I've got to be honest, I don't know how you have the energy to do that stuff when everybody else was, you know, stress yeah. was consuming a lot of people's energy there. And, and... It was, I mean, I mean, we were really lucky in that... Um, because we made the decision collectively, we stood around the pool table, we used to have this pool table in the bar, and we said, what are we going to do? And we said, we're going to close the bar because all the punters are old, and then we're going to write a letter to our nearest 200 neighbours saying, we know you're stressed, we know you're locked up, but we're still here, um, let's know if you need anything. And then the council found out they did that, and so then they asked us to do that for the whole ward. Um, and so we basically, I mean, quite quickly we became a food bank for, for an area of 7,500 houses. The amazing thing about that was that we never shut. So it meant we were still coming to work, we were given permission to travel around, all of that good stuff. And therefore we were sat in these offices miles apart from each other going, I can't put a play on, no. Well, but, and again, this thing of, let's reconsider, well, what is the point of us then? So the, I think the most interesting thing we did, and most interesting because I was absolutely against it at first, uh, which is a sign of the flat hierarchy that I was immediately <laughs> outvoted, was we sent a letter with all the food saying, we know you're still brilliant, draw us a piece of art and leave it on your doorstep. And we took pictures of this art and then we printed them on huge boards and then put them all over the area. So the whole area became an art gallery. And so when you went for your Boris Bimble, you could see the art of your neighbours. The thing I love mostly is people started stealing the art and putting it up in their houses, which is <laughs> brilliant. But then, you know, then... We just did the uh, the opening of Leeds 2023, and one, and it was a huge concert in Headingley Stadium, 10,000 tickets. And there, you, you couldn't buy a ticket. You had to submit a piece of art for the ticket. And so anybody who knows us goes, oh, it's the art gallery again. And you're like, yeah, from this tiny, like, Holbeck and Beeson are tiny. Yeah. And they turned a whole rugby stadium, mate. It was amazing, into an art gallery. And so these ideas, and so what started off initially as a food bank initiative became a major piece of public art in a year of culture for a city. And anybody who knows how these things work know that you need to do both to get to... Yeah. It needs to be a constant cycle. And so so when we were shut, we, we also had game shows and then later on with outdoor shows and drive-through shows and all sorts of nonsense and this big Christmas show in a car park, which never do a Christmas show on the 23rd of December in a car park. It's always going to be coming. Um, <laughs> but all of those were... The, they were... Uh, what is the point of us? And for a company that made its money by going around the country, talking to people and making work, we couldn't do any of that anymore. And then discovered that really the most useful thing to do was to be a food bank and go, oh yeah, but we still need to be theatre artists. Yeah. That was an incredibly like, exciting and challenging time. Yeah. Um, but it's always the same question, which is what is the point of us? Now, the times are slightly less challenging and less exciting, 
um, good. <laughs> good. Exciting in a different way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's still the same. You know, we, we, we left the club um, for lots of good reasons. Uh, but mostly because we kept asking the question, like, right, where is the world today? So now we're in a completely different space and it's a completely... But it's a... Con I suppose the thing I'm trying to get to is the actual thing we're doing is irrelevant. It's the scrutiny of the world we're in. And that that happens at least twice a day is tiring. It means we've never had a five-year plan that's lasted more than six months. But it, but it means when people say to us, and we're often asked, it's like, where does all of that come from? And especially where does the energy come from? You go, I'm exhausted. But then I go, right, what's changed? What's new? Am I, it's, it's the thing I was planning to do yesterday, still the thing I should be doing today. And if it's not, then we will change our mind. We used to be a food bank. We used to be a football club. We used to be a place that put on cabarets. Now we're not. Now we're, now we're about to do an opera with 180 kids because that's the most useful response to a changing world it's a really interesting dialogue in lots of and i mean this because it between risk and responsibility yes but the risk applies to can apply it applies to your audience yes the local community your funders yeah. and your responsibility is yeah. with yes. all of those and then how you yeah. draw those lines between them is is yeah. difficult and there's no right way of doing no. it you just have to no. keep and plugging uh, at it absolutely and the thing that that and we will get it wrong and and one day we'll get it so wrong that it will be the end of us and that's okay that's absolutely fine because that shouldn't be the reason for not doing it that that we know oh, this well we know we were talking about before but large parts of our society do not work in the way that we would want them to work and Mostly as a nation, we say, that's fine, it's the cost of doing things. We know that junior doctors should be paid more, but we can't actually pay them anymore because we ain't got any more money, so that's the cost of doing things. We know people shouldn't be on zero-hour contracts. We know this, we know that, we, we know. Mostly we're not willing to pay the price of doing the thing that we think is right. The difference with Slung Low, which is why people think we're unbearable, is that here we will pay the price of doing what we think is right because, and this is its saving grace, we could not. We could just stop. There is no board. There's no charity commission. We just stop. We give the money back. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still the law. But I give the money yeah. back to the Arts Council, clear off, and do something else with my life. Yeah. And because that's true, we keep going. And you're absolutely right. It's entirely about risk and responsibility. With that level of pressure that comes with that decision-making around risk and responsibility, have you yeah. ever thought, do you know what? I'm just going to bail on this and rip call. Absolutely. And if that doesn't happen every month, then it doesn't, it's not working. But in everything that happens, literally twice a day, we examine, is what we're doing the right thing right. still? So of course we should examine that. There are, I mean, I am, a, a, what am I now? 44, I make £33,000 a year. I have a seven-year-old boy who wants to go to a year at Disney and I cannot afford to take him. Oh, bloody hard. I, you know, I, I'm clearly not within the market, renominated, uh, either financially or in the amount of effort I have to put in. But it's because I'm not in the market, right? I'm not. I'm just taking government money and spanking it on Holbeck. So there are days where I'm like, this is too hard. I mean, this is it's a brilliant space here. Uh, it's a huge warehouse. It's got amazing light through a glass ceiling. But it's freezing. In December, it's like minus seven when you're going for a week. And you think, I'm 44. I was doing this when I'm 34. Am I going to really be doing this when I'm 54? And the answer is probably not. But the point being is the, f the, f the freedom, the genuine power. We are powerful here. Now, there are people in theatre who think they're powerful or say they're powerful in different ways than we mean the word. That means if we say, during the food bank, we said, no one goes hungry, that's it. And the things we had to do to make sure that promise was... And if that meant sending someone with a credit card to a supermarket and buying, then that's what it meant. It mostly didn't because we're really clever and we can do other things. But if that meant sending someone, and it did, sending someone around with 40 quid in an envelope and saying, oh, get a takeaway, the shop's a chart, then that's what it meant. It's rare to live in a world where you have that sort of responsibility. Yeah. And once you've worked out that responsibility is power and that that keeps you going, that stops me most of the time in thinking about pulling the ripcord. Um, there are easier there are easier ways of making a living. There's a reason why systems work because it's like water running downhill. It finds the easiest way, and then it goes. Ah, now let's make efficiency one of our core principles. Efficiency is not a core principle here. 
gives a shit about efficiency. I'm not interested in doing the same thing over and over again using less resources than I did yesterday. That is not a priority for us. People walk through the door and need us to respond. Oh my God, this means we'd have to completely change our plan this week. Good. Like, get used to that. That should happen. So you talked about some of the stuff that you've got coming up. Yeah. So you've got closing... Yes, cl- yes, closing ceremony for Leeds 2023, uh, which is um, uh, which is great. This is the book 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 end to the opening, which is good. Uh, got the opera in July. Yeah, you're writing the third book. I'm, I'm writing the second, second book, and in September we open a leadership academy. So we used to run something called the Cultural Community College, which is where people learn to do all sorts of mad things, from fire breathing to donut making. And the thing we did, we did that for four years. It was really successful because we spent lots of money making sure the classes were amazing. So we couldn't carry on in a, in a non-funded way because it just made no sense financially. But what we discovered about the college was people had a really good time doing things and then they got to decide what to do. So they, you, you know, if you came along twice, be like, right, you can program next year. So you would decide, you know, go blacksmith and we'd have to go and find the blacksmith and, and all this other good stuff. And then the, and the, the, the sort of um, evolution was, oh, well, what do you know? And you first we'd say, what do you know? And you'd like, nothing, I'm as thick as a, a bag of mince meat. And then you'd finally, you'd, you'd tell us. There's all, everyone can do something. And then you would teach a class in the thing you could do. And that was transformative. Sounds great. It was just amazing. Because people turned out to be really good at really interesting things. They were like, I can't do anything. Oh, I can make birdhouses. I was like, I bet you I can get 30 people who want to build a bird. And lo and behold, it. Or donut, mate. God, donut was so popular. This guy was making thousands of donuts. Turned out to be an amazing donut maker. Anyway, point being, that's the bit that we were like, we need to hold on to that. And we can't afford the rest because it was funded. So what we need in Holbeck, and arguably... Uh, more than Holbeck, but we need leaders. We need people who are willing to take on leadership, and an awful lot of that is to do with cultural capital and feeling like you can't be a leader. And so we're like, well, we're really good at teaching that stuff. We're really good at teaching comms and thinking and values-based leadership. So we, in September, we open a community-based, so there are people who live in Holbeck, a 12-week program of developing community leadership with our normal kind of flavour of being outdoors, doing a bit of survival stuff and generally just getting ready to being a governor or whatever it is and then alongside that is a residency for theatre leaders or people about to become theatre leaders and say well what happens if you were a value-based leader instead and they go away to a farm for five days so that will be really exciting for us because again it's our response to you know so if people were interested in trying to work in this way yeah what would you suggest that they consider? What what kind of approaches might there be that, that could help them to develop? I think you've got to find your gang. I don't think it's possible to do this alone. And the very rare times I've tried, it's driven me mad. Find your people. Because your people and your purpose are hand in hand. Like, the first act of a leader is to turn to his people. So, I didn't want to leave the club. And I walked into a room and it became very clear... <laughs> They but, wanted me to leave. But, but I, want, I decided I needed to leave the club okay. because otherwise I wouldn't have a team. Like at some point you lead from the back, right? And you go, I think the people are telling me that it's this way we're going now. And, but, but that's to do with purpose. And actually what they, what they were very clear about the gang here was the purpose had changed. And I had just not quite caught up with them. And so I think your purpose, which is a, a moral question, um, and your team are hand in hand because you need to convince people to come with you. If they already want to go that way, it makes your life a lot easier. If they already believe the things you believe, then you don't have to convince them three times a day. If they don't, you have to convince them three times a day. And so I would say, what is it? You want to go fast, travel alone. If you want to go far, travel with a, with a gang. You've got to get in a gang. You've got, to, you've got to find your people. And it's all right that those people will change because they definitely will. And as you said, you know, after graduating, they will change fast and repeatedly. Yeah. That's fine. That's is fine. that about spreading the load a bit, or yeah, it's also discussion around big decisions. Yes, it's definitely about all of those things, and it's also about um, to lead. To lead requires an ego. You and you don't have to be Donald Trump, but you have to at some point think that you could take you know, like a demonstration of some great leadership and in especially women uh, politicians recently, all of whom are described as egoless. That's not true. They definitely have egos. They're prime ministers. They just are less obnoxious with them. You, you, at some point, you need to think what you've got to say is worth hearing. 
For me, the way I interpret it is that it's my job to, to distill what we collectively think, and it, I'm the spokesperson, so I'm the front man. So it's my job to come and speak to you or go and speak to a conference or whatever it is. But regardless, you want to be in charge? There's got to be some ego there. And that's the thing that will eventually kill you. So when you look at really bad examples of leadership in our sector, of which there are far too many, each and every time it's like, wow, you have grown so distant from the people you have, you were leading that you're just a monster. And so being in a gang that has the right to tell you when you're being a dickhead. But that's really important because, you know, especially when you're being moral, when you're making moral decisions, and, or, or just when you're questioning systems. And there are loads of people, especially in universities, who are like, why are you making my life more difficult? And it's like, because this is the right thing to do. Who are you to say what the right thing is? Well, I'm really sorry about this, but we're not going to do it. Do you think that sometimes there's like little bits where it, you know, it's a bit tidal, where yeah, you yeah maybe going too far, and then yeah. you, you you think yeah, does somebody tell you that, or do you yes. notice it? And then yes, think, just... the, no, no, and both. I think I think it's a constant. I think a, a healthy amount of. I have to drive quite far to get here. I just sort of do three hours a day in the car, and it's really good time to go. Mm, am I? right is everyone else in the world wrong alan or is there another way of looking at this and and amazingly some days you go no i'm right the amount of pressure we came under for the for the cultural work we did during covid was was substantial and we and again at no point did i go screw those guys they don't know what they're talking about at every point i went hang on have we got this wrong have we got this wrong but that because like we're saying before because we're in momentum, because we've got a battle rhythm, that isn't, I'm going to spend three days thinking about this and not doing anything. That's literally like, we get together, only 15 minutes. Have we yeah. gone too far here? No, no, good. Right, back on the horse, let's go, let's go. And it's that constant, so little and often, I think, is constant. I think also, if you're going to do this, then you have to accept that it's not a career. Like we were joking beforehand, I mean, I have no career. It's, it's laughable. And whatever little trinkets I get from the industry, they, they are irrelevant. They really are. They're not. They're not rewards so much as I've been paid the average wage of the nation to do this job for ten years. I, I think it depends on how you define the word career. Yes. And and whether you see career as just you're moving from one thing to another, which is a step up or whatever it is. Yes. Whereas, you know, yours is an iterative. Yes. You know, I I, I mean this in the best possible. Way. It's iterative and it's messy. Yes. Because there is no path. You're constantly hacking away yeah. at trees yeah. and weeds and whatever yeah. else to kind of yeah. get where you need to be or where you think you need to be. Yes, and you need to, and, and, and again, this kind of constant exhausting examining of is this the right response. Beginning of the year, I was making a show in a stadium with 10,000 people and pop stars. And this morning I was cleaning toilets. And I might, you know, who knows? That's going to bring your ego in the chair. Oh, every, <laughs> I mean, I mean a lot. Uh, but that's, I think that's, I suppose that's what I mean by career, because if, if it was a constant climbing of a ladder, then, then I'm like, well, I've done a stadium, what do I do next? And now I'm like, well, no, no, no now I need to go and give some chocolate away. Oh, well, that's smaller, isn't it? I don't know. Go and see how, how, what impact that chocolate had. Um, and, and I suppose what it means is you are constantly having to decide for yourself where value is, rather than oh, I've, I've done that, so next I'll do this and it'll be bigger, and yeah. then I'll do that and it'll be bigger, and then one day I'll get this. There's no one day, um, because we'll, if it arrived, we'll be like, hang on a minute, is this the right thing to do in this moment? And then we decide it's not. Shit. <laughs> We've been working well, on our career. If, you, if you've arrived, then yeah. you, you're not needed anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, and that's... Int- I mean, I, we used to say one day, Holbeck won't need us and we'll leave, and I have since grown to understand politics and economics a lot more, to know that that will not happen in my lifetime. Um, but we still might leave. And, you know, we, we still might... I mean, in the last funding settlement, everyone who ran an organisation like mine but was the generation up got defunded. Well, I mean, I don't know whether the Arts Council did that on purpose or not or whether they're sending me a message, but we should probably talk to them about it. So it could be that in, in two and a half years' time, we're like, that's great, thanks for all the fish, and go and do something else. I think the times when you feel caught are the times you make less good choices. And I know that we are capable of being out of here in two hours. Um, thank you so much not for your at all. Time Thank you for thank having you for, me. Thank you for your time. I realise how busy you are, and it's great to see the space. Good. Thank you. Not at all. Thanks.
Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, SoundCloud and Facebook using the handle Cultural Peeps. And if you want a bit more information about the Careers Pathway project or about any of the conversations or participants, then there's a project blog which is available at culturalpeeps.wordpress.com. 